Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Monday. Halloween, yes, good. You were there, I think, hopefully. So Halloween is actually, the actual name there is All Hallows' Eve because it's the day before All Saints' Day. And All Saints' Day is actually an important day in the life of the church. It's where we, as the people of God, remember God's faithfulness from generation to generation to generation, continuing to preserve his church and his people by the saints that have gone before us. And so I just want to take a quick moment to pray, not only for those who have gone before us in the faith, but also for our message this morning, for the kids' message this morning, all that's going to go on. So if you'll take a moment, we're going to pray one more time, and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your graciousness to us, your people, here and now, and how you have been a faithful God from generation to generation to generation. We thank you for the influence and witness of those saints that have gone before us, those brothers and sisters who have faithfully lived a life to Jesus and for his glory and for his kingdom. We thank you for families who have been, who have raised up children in the way that they should go in following after you. And we also thank you for spiritual fathers and mothers who have gone before us, who have drawn us to the faith. We thank you so much that, Lord, you are at work in the lives of your people, continuing to bring generation and generation to faith. We pray for the message this morning. We pray for the kids as they learn more about who you are and what you've done in this world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Okay, kids, you're dismissed. You can head on out. So my name is Joel. I am not Trey, a surprise, we look similar, but Trey's actually out preaching this week in Edwardsville at Trailhead Church, Um, and so he's blessing them there as their pastor is actually out, Um, and so, you know, be in prayer for Trey this morning, if you want to throw up a quick one right now, you're more than welcome to as he's preaching out there, but this morning we're going to continue on in our sermon series, so we've been trekking through the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. We've been looking at kind of the sweeping themes that are going on in the book of Deuteronomy. So we haven't really been going verse by verse by verse, but we've been looking at and seeing what is God communicating to his people overall as, we're, as we look at Deuteronomy. So I think it's really important for us to realize off the bat this morning, and we've talked about it as we've gone through the series, that the Old Testament and really the Bible as a whole is written for us but it's not written to us. Let me say that again. The Old Testament, the Bible, is written for us, but it's not written to us. And this is really important, especially as we're looking at Deuteronomy. God wrote the Bible. He inspired the Bible for us and for our good so we can know who he is, how he works in this world, how he's called us, his people, to live. But he didn't write it to us because you and I 
for instance, when we look at Deuteronomy, are not ancient Israelites. We were not led out of Egypt from slavery. You and I did not experience wandering in the desert for 40 years, in the wilderness for 40 years. You and I do not live in a theocracy. God is not king over the geopolitical realm that we're in. We, are, we don't live in an agrarian society. I don't know of anyone in our congregation who's even a farmer. So we have to understand that when we read the Old Testament, especially as we're looking at Deuteronomy, especially this morning, that we can't just lift what the text says and say, boom, go and do it. Because you and I are not who it was written to, even though it was written for us and for our benefit. And so when we look at Deuteronomy and we look at the Old Testament, even when we look at the New Testament, we always have to go through, understand the original context, and pull from it the wisdom and discernment that God is calling us to. So like I said, it's important this week. It's been important in the past weeks as we've been going through Deuteronomy. We've been looking over the past few weeks at the various laws that God lays out in Deuteronomy, the covenant stipulations. He talks about various things. He talks about you know, how to how to interact with the poor and the sojourner, the orphan and the widow. He talks about sexuality and gender and marriage and war, all sorts of things. And we can't simply lift those out of the context and say, oh, just go and apply and do. We really have to understand who this was written to, why it was written to them, and then how it applies to us as God's people. So once again, it's important this morning in particular as we go through and we look at what God is saying. So if you weren't here the first few weeks, Trey kind of traced what all was going on in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is actually Moses' last set of sermons before the people of Israel enter the promised land and before he himself will die. So it's, it's really his last word to God's people. And in it, what he's trying to do is he's trying to remind them of covenant faithfulness. I know that word covenant, strange. I'm going to talk about it again in a second. But he's trying to emphasize to them, this is what it means to live a life of faithfulness to God as his people. Once again, we use this word covenant because that's actually what we see Deuteronomy is. It's what God entered into with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. But that word covenant, it's a strange word for us. When you think about that term covenant, a number of things can come to mind. I'm going to give you a definition, and then I'm going to try and explain it a little bit more. But a covenant is really an agreement between two parties of mutual faithfulness in relationship. So it's about mutual faithfulness in relationship. Now, it's important to distinguish. A covenant is not the same thing as a contract. When I think about a business contract, I think of, you will do this, I will do this, and... You know, goods or services will be exchanged and we're done. So one party will do this, one party will do this, that's it. That's not the idea behind a covenant. Yes, there are things that both parties are supposed to be doing in a covenant, but a covenant is all about relationship. How are we faithful to one another in relationship? So when I was thinking about this past week, about Deuteronomy as a whole, this idea of covenant, I was trying to think of ways in which I have it entered into an explicit covenant in my life. And I thought of three different examples. Uh, if you're part of RGC, I'm sorry, I talk about these a lot. Uh, <laughs> but 
There's three examples of covenants that I've entered into in my life. The first one is probably the most obvious one. About five years ago, Laura, my wife, and I entered into a marriage covenant where we, we pledged mutual faithfulness and fidelity to one another in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad. We decided to be for each other and to exclusively to each other in faithfulness. So a marriage covenant. That's something I think we as a society kind of understand, this idea of faithfulness in marriage and this idea of a marriage covenant. The second time I've entered into an explicit covenant relationship in my life is when I actually joined Refuge as a member. I signed a membership covenant in which I, I agreed that I would be for the other members here at Refuge, loving them, serving them, caring for them, calling them out in sin, and likewise, they would be doing the same for me, loving me, caring for me, calling me out in my sin, rejoicing with me. All these point to relationship. We're relationally united as members in the church. The third time I've entered into an explicit covenant relationship is about three years ago when I moved into my new house. During that time, I signed a homeowners association covenant. <laughs> I know, strange. A lot of times when I think of an HOA covenant, I think of rules you have to follow. Otherwise, if you put your garbage can out too, too, too early, you know, you're going to get a nasty gram from the HOA or something like that. But really, a homeowners association covenant is that pledge of mutual faithfulness and fidelity to one another. Think about it. You are living in very close proximity to other people. And when you start doing things around you, and so your goal is faithfulness. Your goal is, you know, hopefully happy neighbors. And so even in an HOA covenant, we see this idea of mutual faithfulness, mutual care for one another because you're in proximity with one another. So I think those three kind of help us see this picture of what covenant means. It's this goal of mutual faithfulness, care, fidelity to one another in relationship. They're not just contracts. We're loving and caring for one another. And so what Moses is doing here in the book of Deuteronomy is he's recalling and recounting for the people of Israel, this is the covenant that you agreed to at Mount Sinai. God called you into being as his people, and he agreed to be your God, that he would protect you provide for you, give you land and offspring and goodness, and you in return, in faithfulness, said that you would worship and serve exclusively him, that you wouldn't seek after other gods, that you would follow his laws and his guidance after other gods, that you would follow his laws and his guidance and obey as he calls you to live. And so Moses is reminding them of this covenant faithfulness that the people of Israel have been called to. So Deuteronomy as a whole I promise we're getting to our verses soon, I promise. Deuteronomy as a whole is one long reminder of God's covenant, and it comes in three different sermons by Moses. We're in the third sermon today. Moses starts by telling the people, this is the background for our covenant, that God brought you out of the land of Egypt. He made promises even before that to the patriarchs, and he's led you through the wilderness, cared for you, and provided for you up until this point. And so this is how the covenant has been established. 
And then in the second sermon, Moses goes on and recounts all the stipulations, the laws that are part of the covenant. How does God call the people of Israel to live in light of this covenant relationship? And there are laws that affect every single aspect of life because all of life is in covenant relationship to God. There's laws that we see around economics, family life, sexuality, religious observances, leadership, justice, food, property, warfare, goes on and on. And this is just a summary that he gives them here in Deuteronomy. There's even a fuller text, a fuller picture of the law in the previous books in the Pentateuch. So Moses is going through and outlining the stipulations, how the people live in obedience to God. And then in the last sermon, where we're at this morning, he outlines what is the consequence for both obedience and disobedience to the covenant. He outlines blessings when the people of God are faithful to their covenant, and he outlines curses for the people of God when they are unfaithful in their covenant to him. So this morning, we're looking at these blessings and these curses. What comes from faithfulness to God's covenant and what results if there is unfaithfulness in the covenant with God. So this morning, we're opening up to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to read two different sections here. I'm going to read a snippet of the blessings and I'm going to read a snippet of the curses. So just kind of information for you to chew on. Chapter 28 is very long and I highly encourage you Today, if you have a chance, pick up your Bible, read through it, read through all that God is saying here in terms of blessings and curses. This is just a snapshot of what he says. So this is Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 15 through 19. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your, of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall, you, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And then skipping down to verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. So looking over blessings and curses is kind of, kind of strange. So remember, previous section that we talked about, God outlined what covenant faithfulness, what obedience to him looks like for the people of Israel in this covenant. He gave guidance for every aspect of life through his laws. This is what faithfulness to God looks like. 
And here, God declares that good things will result in living in obedience to these covenant laws, and bad things will result in living in disobedience to these covenant laws. Essentially, he's saying, you're going to be blessed if you're faithful, and you're going to be cursed if you're unfaithful. It's kind of strange language to us. Let's take a look at these blessings that he calls out and these curses that he calls out. So God says, if you're faithful to me, your community is going to be blessed. If you're faithful to me, your land is going to be blessed. If you're faithful to me, childbearing will be blessed. If you're faithful to me, flocks and herds will be blessed. If you're faithful to me, harvest and food will be blessed. These blessings encompass all of life for ancient Israelites. This is everything for them. These blessings are denoting areas of life and abundance and prosperity. If the people of God are faithful, they'll experience abundance, blessing, prosperity, and life in everything that they do. And then if we look at the list of curses, they follow the exact same pattern. If the people of God are unfaithful, their community will be cursed, their land will be cursed, childbearing will be cursed, flocks and herds will be cursed, harvest and food will be cursed. Every single aspect of their life will be cursed. They're going to experience death, fruitlessness, there's going to be famine, destruction, covenant faithfulness and covenant unfaithfulness are very important to God. And these, ble- these blessings and curses cover every aspect of life in ancient Israel. Now, it's important to note that as we're looking at these covenant blessings and curses, especially as you read all of chapter 28 and see them in their fullness, it's important to realize that these blessings and curses actually follow the laws that were previously stated. The laws, as the people of God are keeping them, will naturally result in blessings and curses. God is still in control and bringing about these blessings and curses, but many times we see that the actual outworkings of the laws that God has given for what obedience looks like, what they are to do and not do, actually bring about the blessings and curses that God is declaring here. So let's, let's take an example. So back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, uh, God lays out this stipulation through Moses for the people of Israel. He says, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. When I read that and I read the blessings of fruitfulness and childbearing, it naturally follows that if the people of Israel are keeping this law, they should have fruitful and abundance. They should have kids. And so when we look at the laws that God has given here, and we look at the list of blessings and curses, we need to understand that many of these blessings and curses are naturally flowing out of the laws in obedience. If, for instance, the king that will eventually be over them says, I don't care, men, because men were in the army at these, in this time and age. Men, I don't care if you were just recently married, you're being conscripted into the army and we're going to go fight. Well, there's a li- large likelihood that the men would die in battle and therefore 
the king disobeying God's commands here is going to bring unfruitfulness to his people. We actually see, once again, the blessings and curses are flowing out of the laws that God has established for his people. And this is true for us as well. So as New Testament believers, as New Covenant believers, as people who are united with Christ, we see that blessings and curses actually naturally flow from God's commands to us as well. Take, for instance, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul is outlining what the life of a believer should look like. He outlines this as what a person filled with the Spirit should be. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. When I live in covenant faithfulness, and I, I see and live by these things in my life as the Spirit is enabling me, and I show love toward my neighbor, I'm going to experience blessing in community. We're going to have friendship wholeness as a people. We're going to enjoy being with one another because these aspects of obedience translate naturally into the good blessings of friendship and life. When I don't seek after these things, when I don't allow the Spirit to be working in my life, bringing about these things, you know, my relationships are going to suffer. I'm going to experience the curses of anger and resentment, loneliness, animosity. They're flowing directly out of obedience and disobedience. So for us, even in the New Testament, our call is also to obedience. And as we see obedience in our lives to the calling of God in the new covenant that Christ has established on our behalf, we see blessings and curses flowing out. We live by God's commands, by his standards. You and I experience the goodness of our God and the blessings that follow. Now, I want to be very cautious here as we're talking about this because many times when we start talking about the blesses, blessings and curses that can flow from obedience— we simply see it as like a, a cosmic slot. You know, trust Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to experience abundance and blessing. And I don't know about you, but I have found that that is not always the case. Not in my life. And so how, how in the world do we see that playing out? Well, let's also look at some of the testimony we see in Scripture from other places. You know, if you jump into the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, uh, first off, be prepared for some strange things and for some dismal stuff. The preacher in Ecclesiastes, he says, vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. I've seen the, the unrighteous man become rich, and I've seen the righteous man become poor and die, and it makes no sense. Take a look at the book of Job. You want a fun read? Go read that one. Job, an upright man before the Lord, an obedient man before the Lord, experiences affliction, curses. If we looked at the covenant curses here again, we would say, man, all these are being visited on Job. And Job's friends, they come and they try and comfort him. <laughs> and they say, obviously you sinned, obviously you disobeyed the covenant, and so confess that to God and be restored to him. And he says, I, 
That's not true. These curses that you're seeing upon me are not a result of my actions. And so, once again, Job is another witness where we see that this is, there's a strange thing going on here. The blessings and curses aren't always flowing out of righteousness or unrighteousness. Same thing happens in 1 Peter. The believers in 1 Peter are experiencing intense persecution because they are following after God and obeying him. And it looks like covenant curses are being bestowed upon the believers in 1 Peter. Blessings aren't automatic. We live in a broken world in which things should follow a natural course, but they don't. And that's due, once again, to the brokenness in our world. We would want to see covenant blessings always being bestowed based off of righteousness and faithfulness to God, but simply not the case. And part of that is God calling us to dependence upon him, not simply on his blessings, but dependence upon him as the good king that we can trust in. So both blessings and curses are coming from God's hand. And sometimes, like for instance in the midst of Job, we see that it doesn't always make sense, but the call is for obedience, for loving faithfulness to God, not simply the blessings that he may give. So when we look at these blessings and these curses, they can also be a little bit problematic for us, especially in our current cultural context. When I read through all of chapter 28, and I see these lists of blessings and these lists of curses, uh, I get a little uneasy. I read 14, ble- 14 verses of covenant blessings. Like, yay, that's great. I love seeing faithfulness and how that's working out in the lives of God's people. But then I read 54 verses of curses. That seems strange. Does God like cursing more than he enjoys blessing? How is God's character being revealed in this section of Deuteronomy? And on top of that, how do we deal with passages that we see in here, like Deuteronomy 28, 63, where Moses says, as And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. How are we supposed to understand this? God's character has been revealed up until this point in the lives of the people of Israel. And as we read through this section and we read through the blessings and the curses, we may be tempted to say, I don't see a merciful God here. I don't see a loving God here. I don't see a God who is for his covenant people here. I want to say, first off, that if we took this passage just as it is and lifted it out like I talked about at the very beginning, and said, this is what it says, we would be missing the context in which God is working in the lives of his people through Moses in Deuteronomy. We have to understand that we are not in the same cultural context. 
And Moses is using language here that would be very common to covenant relationships in the ancient world. And so as the people of Israel are listening to this, listening to Moses tell them these blessings and these curses, they understand it in light of their culture. So specifically, verse 63 is explicit covenant language. It's being used here specifically because it's language that the people of Israel would understand and know that this is what a relationship looks like in terms of covenant. It's God saying, listen, I'm being very forthright with you. I will not relent in my curses simply because you are my covenant people. God is showing his graciousness to the people of Israel in saying, I take these things seriously. I care about these things. And when you flippantly disregard them, know that my curses will come. But God is also being very merciful in listing out both these blessings, but especially these curses. God is being gracious in showing the people, listen, your unfaithfulness, your disobedience will lead to these things. That's God being merciful. It would be unmerciful for him to say, I want you to obey, and then eventually, when people disobey, he showers them with curses. That would be unfair. And yet, God here in mercy is saying, listen, obedience matters. And when you are unfaithful, know that these things will occur. I think this is especially merciful of God in light of the people that he's talking to. Remember, this is the same people of Israel that stood at Mount Sinai when the covenant was originally made and Moses went up for 40 days receiving the law, receiving the stipulations for the covenant. And the people of Israel were down there like, I don't know where Moses went. And they created a golden calf and started worshiping it. In the middle of the covenant ceremony with God, they create a huge idol and start worshiping it. God in mercy is reminding the people, these are my covenant stipulations, and these are the curses that flow out because I know who you are, people of Israel. I know your wayward hearts. You need to hear this and understand this and know this. This is the same people of Israel who, as they were going up into the promised land, sent out spies. The spies said, hey, big cities, tall people, it's scary in there. I don't think we should do this. And the people started grumbling against God and said, why did you bring us out here to kill us? Why didn't we just stay in Egypt where we had plenty to eat and things were great? Obviously, short, <laughs> short memory. This is the same people of God who over and over again have already demonstrated that they are going to be unfaithful. And so God, in listing out and talking through all these covenant curses, is being merciful to them and showing them and reminding them, listen, your unfaithfulness has consequences. And if we're honest with ourselves, you and I are like the people of Israel. It's something we don't like to hear, but it's true. We, like the people of Israel, are quick to, to grumble against God and to build up idols in our own lives. And our idols don't look like golden calves, at least not normally. 
but they take many forms. Could be money, pursuing success to all ends. It could be family, that my family is the most important thing in my life. It could be seeking after that special relationship or trying to pursue the newest toy. It could be health. It could be all sorts of things that we say, this is most important, and therefore, obedience to God in this area, maybe we'll just kind of look the other way. We're quick, like I said, to chase after other gods. And in God placing all of these curses here for us to read, once again, Bible's written for us as well, we start to see that God is merciful in reminding us, remember, this is what disobedience brings about. I think it's important as we look at these blessings and these curses to also realize another aspect to them. Covenant blessings and curses are not just for me. They're actually for us. The covenant was not established with just, you know, Moses. The covenant was not just established with John or whomever. The covenant, the new covenant as well, was not just established with Joel or with Tim or Susan. God established his, co his covenant with his people. And in the context of covenant, and in the context of covenant community, we experience blessings and curses as a community. That's because faithfulness to the covenant is as a community, and unfaithfulness to the covenant is as a community. And that's something that's radical in our society. I mean, why should I have to suffer for what someone else has done? That doesn't make any sense. But we see Moses here speaking to the people of Israel as the people of Israel and saying these blessings and these curses will come upon you as you as a people are faithful or unfaithful. Now, don't worry. I assure you this makes sense. It may grind against our individuality, but I promise you it makes sense. So this past week... Um, we had a little bit of a health problem in my family. So we have a 10-year-old, or sorry, a 10-week-old, uh, Hunter. <laughs> sorry, not a whole lot of sleep. So he contracted RSV this week. And in being 10 weeks old, that's a very, very serious. So uh, he got admitted to the hospital, was on oxygen for a while. And we encountered what I would say is covenant obedience and faithfulness by the people of God here at Refuge. People prayed for us. People brought meals. People watched our daughters so that I could go to the hospital. What I saw was obedience. And this, it's weird to say this in this way, but hear me. I saw obedience to God through the people here at Refuge. The people took seriously God's calling as the covenant people to love and care, to pray for those who are sick, as James speaks about. And in obeying God, we saw, my family saw the blessings of God enter into the life, our lives. So we see 
blessings and curses are coming about by faithfulness and obedience from a community of believers, from a community, a covenant community. That also means that our sin is not just our sin. Because when I live in unfaithfulness to God and disobedience to God, it's going to affect everyone that's around me as well. The, the covenant community is going to be affected when I say, mm, I don't really care about you know, loving these people over here. Or I'm a little bit more concerned about building up my own little kingdom, caring about myself and my self-righteousness. It's going to bring curses. It's going to bring effect. Bring brokenness is, obvi- is often the word that we use here at Refuge. But it's going to affect the covenant community around me. I also want to point out that there's another aspect of obedience here. As a people, we are called to obedience together and to call out disobedience when we see it. That means that when I see things that are harming my brother or sister my co- in covenant community and I say nothing, I'm culpable for their sin as well because God is calling me to love and to care for them in such a way that I call out their disobedience so they can turn back to righteousness. As a people, as a covenant people, blessings and curses follow faithfulness and unfaithfulness, and this is always communal. So, just do what God says, all will be well, right? Not so fast. Here's the center focus that we've seen throughout the book of Deuteronomy and throughout even the New Covenant when we read about it in Scripture. The center focus of covenant and the center focus of obedience is relationship. And the center of relationship, as we've seen here in Deuteronomy, is loving God. It's not simply do's and don'ts. It is loving God. Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is a radical picture of covenant obedience. In the ancient world, this idea of loving a God doesn't make any sense. Obedience Covenant obedience is all about doing what is required. But here God states, obedience to his covenant looks different. It is rooted and grounded in love for God. And it's not love that I'm just supposed to come up with. For the people of Israel, it was love that was rooted in the actions of God, loving and saving and redeeming them from slavery in Israel, bringing them and providing for them throughout the wilderness and bringing them to the promised land that he had promised to Abraham so long ago. And for us, as we look at what covenant obedience looks like, it's the same. You and I respond in love to God. When we look at Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection on our behalf, we see the great love with which our God has loved us. 
And as a covenant people, that is the grounding for our relationship with him, for our covenant with him. That's why when Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Because love is the center of the covenant relationship with God. And it's obedience to him that flows out of that love. And it's, it's curses and blessings that follow, follow out of that obedience. We obey him because he first loved us. And we love him in return. This is the pattern of faithfulness throughout the Old Covenant, throughout the New Covenant. We as God's people live in covenant faithfulness to God by loving him. And as we love him, we obey him. And as we obey him, we experience his blessings. This is the goodness of our God. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you are good and gracious to us, your people. That you continue to love us even in, as we disobey, even as we fail to keep covenant, we thank you that you are faithful. We pray that as we see and as we meditate, as we understand the riches of your love toward us, that you will enable us as a people together to love and return, to seek you in obedience, to trust you in every aspect of our lives. We thank you that in Christ we are in covenant relationship with you. We pray that you continue to guide us, to empower us, and to strengthen us as we continue to live in covenant relationship. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our King. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.